Welcome to Clear Thinking Out Loud, written and narrated by Mark Tyrrell of Uncommon Knowledge. Hi, I'm Mark Tyrrell of Uncommon Knowledge, and welcome to Three Ways to Help Your Clients Control Their Emotions. Let me share with you a therapy tale I told to an angry, bitter, guilty client. Once there lived an old man who kept all different kinds of animals, but his grandson was particularly intrigued by two tigers that lived together in one cage. The tigers had very different temperaments. One was calm and self-controlled, while the other was unpredictable, aggressive, violent, vicious, and prone to despondency. Do they ever fight, grandfather? asked the young boy. Occasionally, yes, they do, admitted the old man. And which tiger wins? Well, that depends on which one I feed the most. Now, I told this story to Paul while he relaxed deep within trance. And he'd pitifully described how he'd always mull over all the stuff everyone had ever done wrong to him, and then all the ways he'd hurt other people in his life. Hardly a recipe for happiness. Paul liked, and I mean really liked, this story, really connected with him. In a way, it marked the beginning of his own story. So telling stories to people in trance can be incredibly powerful. A week later, after I'd told this little tale to Paul, he emailed me, and the subject line proclaimed, no more rolling in the muck. So what could this mean? He told me how after our session, he'd entered a secondhand bookstore, picked up an old book at random and read the words, chronic remorse is a most undesirable sentiment. If you've behaved badly, repent, make what amends you can, and address yourself to the task of behaving better next time. On no account, brood over your wrongdoing. Rolling in the muck is not the best way of getting clean. So the last line really struck a chord with him. When a client is open to it, the best therapist can be life itself. And it was a beautiful serendipitous coincidence that he found uh, that book. Paul told me he wanted to get clean and to stop wallowing uh, in the muck or succumbing to his own uncontrolled feelings. He wrote that he finally felt this might be possible for him and was looking forward to more therapy. He understood now that continually ruminating and emoting did him very little good and a great deal of harm. It only made him feel whipped up and upset. It was a new idea for Paul that he could in some ways master himself. So many people feel that they, uh, they're at prey or at mercy to their own feelings. He had always felt he had to put up with the vagaries of his own powerful feelings, to be enslaved to their whims with no choice but to follow where they led. But this self-control idea was now growing within him, a seed long buried under the hard, cold ground finally finding its way towards the light. When uncontrolled emotion runs wild, despair, anger, violence, jealousy and addiction can sweep us before them, dictating the course of our lives and whipping the backs of our intent, cracking apart our relationships and ripping our dreams apart at the seams. 
we need to get some control over our feelings. When feelings run rampant, they can destroy the person who is controlled by them. And that need not necessarily be the person who has the emotion. But it's surprising how many clients feel hopeless, unable to grasp the possibility of taking the reins of their own feelings. As I'll describe in a moment, believing you can is half the battle. First off though, what do we mean by controlling emotion? How valid is the feeling? Controlling emotion doesn't have to mean suppressing emotion. If we never take account of our own feelings, we can lead unfulfilled lives, leaden with suppressed, unpursued dreams. To be true to ourselves, we need to think of our feelings as advisors, not as deranged, bellowing autocrats dictating our every move. Okay. But for some of us, getting to that point is an epic battle. We have to face down uh, outwit and learn to dominate the ogres and giants and witches and warlocks of our own feelings. An emotional response may or may not be valid. A child has to learn that screaming and kicking because he dropped his ice cream on the floor is not a valid way to emote. We have all, well most of us, learned to control our instincts, or at least their effects to some extent. But it used to be assumed that we were somehow damaging ourselves if we didn't let our feelings out, okay, if we didn't express our feelings. So how many times have you heard the old um, cliché, it's healthier to let it out, don't suppress it. Okay. Many therapists became uh, wedded to the ideology of catharsis, you know, perhaps not understanding uh, the way repetition, Hebbian learning in the brain can reinforce negative feelings. You know, the more we feel a feeling, the more we learn to feel that feeling, and the more likely we are to feel that feeling more easily in future. So constantly emoting anger makes you better at getting angry more often. The bias towards validating and encouraging the expression of every feeling persists even today. And it does people a lot of harm in therapy. I recall a psychologist explaining the error in this approach like this. A therapy student suggested that surely it was better to always emote, to feel the full force of your feelings and express those feelings. And that therapy should always encourage this express, expressing of emotion in clients. And my psychologist friend replied, okay, clench your fist. Now feel all the tension and strain, even discomfort of that clenched fist. Squeeze it tighter and tighter. Now gradually unfurl that fist and let it relax. Okay, that feels better, doesn't it? But here's a question. The tension and strain you felt a moment ago in your hand, has that been suppressed? Has it been repressed? Is it now underlying? Or is it just a potential state that has evaporated? A state of tension that you can control. 
Controlling emotion when we need to doesn't mean not acting on the emotion, although often that's a good idea. It means actually changing the emotion to allow us to lead a happier and more comfortable life. Okay, So it's not a question of either expressing emotion or suppressing it, it's a question of changing it or reducing it so it's not there at all, or not to the same degree. When you're not feeling sad, the sadness isn't underlying, it's gone. It sounds almost too obvious to say it, but emotion is what we feel in the moment. Okay, I've often heard people say things like, it's healthy to express your pent-up emotions, to let off steam, and certainly it can feel better sometimes. But there are problems with this old idea. When mind metaphors are taken literally, we can run into problems. So first off, there's no evidence that expressing emotion is always healthier for the individual, or for their relationships, that matter. Before technology began to allow us to scan the brain directly, much of psychology was based on borrowing metaphors from other technology. For example, it's been noted by uh, such writers as uh, Frank Tallis, who wrote The Hidden History of Psychotherapy, Hidden Minds, and Robert Ornstein, the, uh, who wrote The uh, Evolution of Consciousness and The Healing Brain. That psychological doctrine has often tried to align itself with current techno technological sophistication, perhaps partly in an attempt to appear more scientific itself. So before psychology was scientific, it tried to uh, appear more uh, valid by using other technological metaphors. So for example, during the 19th century, hydraulic technology, as you know, was all the rage, and the metaphor for the mind followed suit. You know, so people talked and still talk of running out of steam or letting off steam and releasing pent-up emotion. Okay, so uh, running out of steam, letting off steam are what steam engines do. Much experimental therapy, particularly in California, California during the 70s, use the hydraulic metaphor on the, uh, with the belief that to truly grow as a person, you had to let it all out. Okay. But recent physical tests of cardiac and immune function show that releasing extreme anger, for example, is no less damaging to the main arteries of the heart than keeping the anger in. So expressing it is still very damaging to the heart and the immune function. Ideally, we want to avoid either. It's much better to have less anger to start with, to control the anger, to diminish it, than to let it out or to uh, keep it locked in. The metaphor of depth has also been applied to emotion. People often refer to an emotional ex uh, issue as being deeply rooted. You've heard that metaphor, no doubt. It's, or it goes very deep, you know, uh, with the implication that trying to help someone deal with their emotional responses may somehow be superficial and that we need to go deeper than that. But they, they really say what they actually mean by that. Ah, you know, but, but are you dealing with the root of the problem, with a real problem? But if we look at human emotional suffering, often the root of the problem is the emotion itself. Okay, Certainly we practitioners should know how to help unhook the past emotional conditioning that may have led to the current emotional patterns. But sometimes the best way to do that is to help clients calm their current emotions. Okay, When dealing with clients' feelings, we need to see directly, not be uh, 
blindsided by old technological or gardening metaphors. Rough approximations can lead to dangerously rigid assumptions as to how to help other people. So deep-rootedness or letting off steam are not necessarily um, useful metaphors. As always, we need to remember that all our clients have basic primal emotional needs. And we as practitioners need to be clear about what those needs are. Helping them control their troublesome emotional responses will help them feel more in control, safer and more secure, leaving them better placed to meet their emotional needs and uh, for, to help them start to find life meaningful again. And of course it works both ways. So to meeting their emotional needs will help them achieve better emotional self-control. Okay, so meeting needs helps people with their emotional control. Uh, helping them with their emotional control means they can meet their emotional needs more easily. It's two-way street. So how can we help our clients control their emotions other than by helping them meet their vital emotional needs in life? Number one, help them realize they can captain their own ship. So for Paul, it was an, a, uh, an epiphany, a warm and welcome wave of encouragement from the future. If your client is prone to mood swings, ask them how much influence they feel they have over their moods. Some people feel they've got no influence over their own moods. They may not have even thought about this before. Mind you, they may already have been diagnosed as bipolar, as Paul had. Once diagnosed, clients may feel trapped by the diagnosis, as if they've been slapped with a label that can never be unpeeled. For Paul, the diagnosis had led him to believe there was nothing he could do about his wayward emotionality. As if, you know, okay, so I've got, I've got no control over this because an outside authority has uh, limited me and put me in a bracket. Okay? Some therapists fall prey to the mania for diagnosing people, especially as bipolar. It's become a very popular uh, diagnostic criteria. But handing out a diagnosis, uh, satisfying as it may feel at the time, can actually make clients feel less in control of their lives ultimately. Questions such as these can be really useful. What do you do to change your mood when you start feeling down? What ways do you have of going from angry to calm? What strategies do you have? If your client tells you they never even thought about this, um, uh, then that's one thing. If your client tells you they do have a strategy for changing their emotional state, you could work on that to build on their personal resources. So how can we make that strategy stronger? If they look blank and tell you they can't control their feelings, you can begin to help show them that in fact they can. This is a great idea and here's why. Evidence shows that believing you can change a negative mood makes you much more able to start doing so. So just believing you can change your mood makes you much more likely to be able to change your mood. It's not surprising, but actual research has shown that. Uh, you know, so it's hardly surprising, but still interesting to know that psychologists have found such a strong correlation between belief and ability when it comes to overcoming bad moods. So describing to clients how people can and do learn to control their emotional states may be a valuable first step. You know, just broaching the fact that it's possible to do that, especially if they've been officially branded with some psychiatric label or other. Paul had genuinely assumed he was under the complete control of his emotions and would have to suffer his whole life. 
that he had no uh, hope of devising strategies to uh, get back behind the control again. He felt therapy might change that a little, but he believed he would be reliant on therapy and medication for the rest of his life. His epiphany that he could master his own feelings enough to give him a happier, more stable life was the first step to actually getting there. Number two, help your client look ahead and back in new ways. I recall an old Zen master saying, your anger, depression, spite or despair so seemingly real and important right now, where will they have gone in a month, a week or even a moment? Intense negative emotions blind us to the future and con us into believing that now is all that matters. They can possess us, taking such a stranglehold that we become capable of doing terrible things to ourselves and to other people. Consequences evaporate in the moment. When we're angry or sad or in the thrall of addiction, it's hard to imagine reality can be any other way. In fact, when we're incredibly angry or anxious, we can momentarily forget that there is even going to be a future. Depressed people might tell you they don't see a future, but that doesn't mean that the future isn't there for them. Strong emotion makes us look through its, and only its, perspective, just like any biased propaganda. And propaganda, of course, always aims to raise the emotional temperature so that people can think less clearly. Depressed people find it hard to imagine not being depressed and therefore may conclude they've always been depressed and always will be. And that's according to research. Our job is to reconnect people to their resources so they can begin to use them for themselves. We can help our clients build up a picture of not being depressed. If depression is the particular feeling that they've been finding hard to influence and diminish, and also access resourceful non-depressed times, which can also be hard for depressed people to access usually. We know that depressed people have a very skewed way of remembering the past, and when they're depressed, they tend to have amnesia for non-depressed times, or to paint those non-depressed times as more negative than they actually were. Okay, but we can teach them to no longer do that. I taught Paul to hypnotically drift in and out of anger trances so that he could start to see the bigger picture even when he was in it. It began to control him less. Okay, so he became less angry because he could drift out of the anger uh, almost at will. I also taught him to reframe memories of times he'd been angry or hurt by having him recall them in a deeply relaxed state of mind and body and observe the bigger picture such as non-emotional details of the memory uh, and the context, not the feelings. This has been shown to take the sting out of memories and help prevent automatic emotional associations from firing off uh, or pattern matching as psychologists call this. Three, encourage your client to get to know themselves. We can all kid ourselves a little or a lot. No, I'm really pleased for you, I really am. You know, you might say to someone, well, feeling the opposite. Only when we can honestly see and know our emotional fluctuations can we begin to influence them. So we can ask our clients to observe their own attitudes 
and emotional ebbs and flows. Okay, become mindful, start to know the machine as it were by seeing it from the outside. One key first step to emotional control is to know when we're actually being emotional and also why, you know, oh, it's the same old, old push-button trigger that's working on me again. Controlling emotions isn't about pretending they aren't there. If your client catches themselves feeling unexpectedly strongly about something, they can ask themselves, why am I feeling like this? Okay, why have I overreacted in this way? And report back to you. Whether your client feels jealous or angry, sad, bitter or ashamed, they can label that feeling with no judgment. So, you know, they might say to themselves, okay, I don't like that. I'm feeling this way, but I'm feeling very envious, okay, of this person's good luck um, or whatever. And there's a kind of honesty. They could write that down, envy. They, they can note down their feelings and also the context around those feelings, okay. This gives you and them great material to work with. It also helps them get to know themselves better and to increase self-objectivity by using the observing self. Okay, so the road to self-knowledge isn't very flattering, you know, and if, if we can put aside the need to feel flattered, then we can be honest with ourselves and see some of our less, you know, uh, flattering emotions. The next step is to identify why they feel the way they do. So they might say, I hate to admit it, but I'm feeling envious of Bob because he's just been complimented for his work and I haven't. Okay, so that might be the observation. Being able to exercise this self-honesty means that your clients won't have to resort to what a large proportion of the human race do. They won't have to rationalize, okay, rationalize away why they do or think or feel things. We rationalize by kidding ourselves, you know, for example, that we're angry with someone not because they got a raise at work and we didn't, but because of their attitude towards us or some other made-up reason. Or we rationalize by denying we're even feeling angry at all or whatever the feeling is. This kind of rationalization is a recipe for discontent. On the other hand, knowing what emotion you're feeling and being man or woman enough to identify the truth as to why you're feeling it brings you that much closer to doing something about it. I will often ask my clients to do one week of this self-observation, using it only when they become aware of what seems to be an over-emotional reaction within themselves. So our clients don't need to be constantly navel-gazing or to lose perspective on other aspects of life, to be too self-analytical, but they do need to be able to observe their own emotional responses when it matters. In a sense, any therapist and many coaches will be useful only insofar as they can help clients manage and control their emotions and help them build and connect to their resources. These are just three broad ways to help us help our clients control and manage their emotions. So to recap, let them know it's possible to change their moods and influence their own feelings because believing you can change your mood makes it much more likely you will be able to do so. Help your client learn to step outside of the emotional trance at will and instantly realize the consequences of anger, for example. Rise outside of the depression, transcend the emotion through hypnotic techniques or whatever the case may be. Remember, emotion is hypnotic because it narrows focus and often involves the imagination. 
Reframe past difficult memories and encourage your client to observe their own reactions so they get to know and see how their emotionality works. This is the first step to mastering or at least gaining more control over their troublesome feelings. Paul told me both his tigers were now much tamer, but he could still be intense and spontaneous in a good way. He'd never forgotten that story and he and his wife will be forever grateful for it. As I said to Paul, you are the keeper of your emotions, not the slave. So I hope you found that useful. I'm Mark Tyrrell of Uncommon Knowledge, and if you'd like to subscribe to my email newsletter, you can find it over at unk.com slash blog. That's unk.com slash blog. Mm -hmm.